From the Shumway Theater in downtown Rockford, this is the Guilty Pleasures Podcast, presented by Rockford Writers Guild. Here is your host, Connie Koontz. Hello, everyone. It's Connie Koontz, and you're listening to the Guilty Pleasures Podcast. It's still season one. It's still February, but it's episode eight. And Sharon Nesbitt Davis is right here in the Shumway studio with me. Hello, Sharon. Hello, Connie. Today, she is going to share her third chapter from Intended, which is her memoir in progress, which is about her intricate journey into her interracial marriage of 41 years to actor George Davis. Sharon, what year is it in this chapter? 1962. I'm and, 10 years old. And you're 10 years old. And are we still in Quincy, Illinois? We are still in Quincy, Illinois. Well, I think we should begin. Sure. Let's do it. Okay. I have a bride doll. I don't give her a name because she is me. She has short brown hair, the same color as mine, and fake pearl earrings. I jam pins in her head to hold the veil. My brothers tease that I'll never be a bride, and that could be true. I don't like any of the boys in my class, especially Donnie. We have the same wavy brown hair and freckles, and substitute teachers think we are twins. I think that means I have to marry him, and he makes me sick. He eats his own boogers. Donnie makes me want to run away and grow up somewhere else, but I don't know how to get anywhere. I've read about people jumping on trains, but the only train station is across the Mississippi Bridge, and unless I went at night, someone would see me crossing it and tell. If I did make it, I'm not old enough to get a job. I'd have to hide in somebody's barn and steal the farmer's wife's pie from her kitchen window. Maybe the farmer's wife will catch me, and ask why I am there. And when I explain about Donnie, she'll let me live with them because they always wanted a daughter. I'll send a letter to my family so they won't worry. My mother will be happier without me there since she's always mad because my room is a mess and I don't want to learn how to sew and I'm not polite like my cousin Carol. But that only happens on television. Real grown-ups will make me go home and I'll be in the biggest trouble I've ever been in. My family goes to the movies to see The Music Man because my mother loves musicals. My father doesn't, but he loves her. My brothers and I go because they won't let us stay home alone. The librarian in the movie believes her future husband is out in the world somewhere, and she sings to him. She doesn't know she's already met him. I sit in the dark and dream about getting married to someone Besides Donnie, maybe my husband doesn't live in my town. My father was born in Colorado, where his father had a ranch. A mean son of a gun won a land in a poker game and was going to make all the ranchers pay to use his land to get their cattle to the only watering hole. My grandpa got his gun to kill this man, and my grandmother stopped him. She said, 
or moving back to Illinois. They moved where they had family, and my dad became the new kid in my mother's class. I think that's when she fell in love with him, because she always smiles when she tells the story. But when I ask, she says I'm being silly. They were 13 when they met, and I'm 10. So maybe my husband isn't here yet. When I should be in bed, I climb out my window and onto the roof of the porch. I look up at the stars and sing, Good night, my someone, good night, my love. A thought floats up. He lives in Chicago. That summer, we go on vacation to Wisconsin and make a stop in Chicago. My father wants to see the cubs, my brothers want to see dinosaur bones, and I want to look for my husband. But I didn't know Chicago was so big. Everywhere we go, there are huge crowds and hundreds of boys. I don't know how I will ever find him. Well, Sharon, I'm sure you're sick of me saying this, but that is a wonderful chapter. Oh, does anyone ever get sick of hearing that? (laughs) But thank you. You You're welcome. So you're 10 years old, Mm -hmm. Quincy, Illinois. You're on the Mississippi River, and you're talking about this bridge that if you go past it or if you go across it, somebody will see you. Well, that was my imagination. But Mm -hmm. it was a bridge that was well-traveled. It was a bridge that people went from... Um, Illinois over to Missouri, mm-hmm. and we uh, would cross that bridge to go to Doc's Airport uh, for the for a, a restaurant, and that was where the train station was. So it was it was well traveled, but um, and there was yeah. a safe pedestrian bridge for people to cross, or was it mostly cars? It was mostly cars, but there was a walkway, and somehow in Quincy, even though. It was a city of 47,000. It seemed like I could never get away with doing something without someone telling my mother. So mm-hmm. I think that was always, it was always in the back of my mind that, yeah, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Okay. Well, bridges always fascinate me, especially mm-hmm. when they span something as majestic as the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Can you describe it? Was it just a simple bridge? Was it a suspension bridge? Was it? It was a large concrete bridge that I'm not, (laughs) I can't say I'm so well versed in what bridges are. I believe it might have been a suspension bridge. I do know that there were large barges that went underneath. It was a very, it was very large. Mm -hmm. And much later, I did canoe on the Mississippi Mm -hmm. with my brother. And there were a couple of times. Which brother? uh, Roger. Mm -hmm. uh, And there were some incidents. There was one in particular that we we're fighting the current to get across the Mississippi, and the current was beating us. Oh. And it was, um, we were very close to um, crashing against those concrete pylons. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, that, that would happen. Or a barge would go by and would, would have uh, a really strong wake. Mm-hmm. And so that would be always exciting because we'd have these waves that we had to fight against. So I had some of those kinds of experiences. But that was more underneath the bridge mm-hmm. than actually on the bridge. What kind of trouble did you get into <laughs> under that bridge? Were there parties? <laughs> Not at age 10, but as you were in high school? You know, I, I, I can say that I didn't do a whole lot of that. Mm-hmm. I, I knew about those kinds of parties, mm-hmm. but I was, <laughs> I was not necessarily the one out there doing it. Mine was far more, uh, I would say, more just um, interesting that we would have uh, philosophical discussions mm-hmm. along the banks, and there would be a perhaps barefooted um, <laughs> barefooted teenagers pretending that we thought we were very cool, mm-hmm. um, dancing and just weird weirdness like that more than anything really raucous or that kind of stuff. But we would find the beer bottles that other find others had them. left. Yes, we would she find found them. them. We were not <laughs> we were not partaking of that. I, I believe you. Yeah, I think it's so cool that you grew up on the river. We have the Rock River here. We My do. kids used to see the Forest City Queen. Mm-hmm. That's not the same as seeing this mighty barge going down the Mississippi. Right, it's right. really yeah, quite Rock, an amazing yeah. part of your... Yeah, yeah. Rock River is, is a nice river, but it's more like a stream to me mm-hmm. than a river, especially at, at the place that we were, because it was a pretty wide... It was fairly wide there. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, because sure. the, being on the Mississippi River, that just says a lot about your small city, that you grew up in. It's really an interesting thing that Mm -hmm. I can see. The other thing I can see in your outdoor life in Quincy is when you go, and I'm going to go to the end of your chapter here. Okay. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Sure. But when you go onto your roof. Ah, yes. Is that something you did a lot? (laughs) I, I liked to do it. I don't know that I did it a lot, but it was just one of those fun things that I could take the screen out and I could just climb onto the roof. It wasn't something that my parents necessarily encouraged me to do. (laughs) They were aware that we did it. Um, And the roof was, uh, there was a slight, there was a slant. Mm -hmm. So you had to be careful doing it. You, but um, it was just fun to do. Yeah. Chicago. What was your relationship with Chicago at age 10? I was just there with my family, and we went to the museums, we went to the ball game, and I was looking. Mm -hmm. I really was looking to see if I could figure out (laughs) who and where this husband could be, and it was true. There were just so many people. It really discouraged me. I just, I remember leaving Chicago feeling like, I think... I think I'll never find him. There's too many people there. And, of course, not telling anybody that at all. But but I just remember that being in the back of my mind everywhere I went, thinking I could be walking past him mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, yeah, that was, that was Chicago to me. But it was, it was just big. I remember my father getting lost and my mother being mm-hmm. rather concerned and exasperated at times and sure and that never worked well between them when he was driving and (laughs) didn't know where he was and of course would never ask for directions because they don't they 
didn't do that kind of thing then. Well, the reason I ask is because Chicago is part of your imagination Mm -hmm. and your spirit, and so is a distant farm with a farmer's wife asking important questions. At Mm -hmm. age 10, where were you pulled to be as an adult? Ooh, now that would be an interesting question that I'm not sure I really considered. I... um, I did not have experience living in a big city, mm-hmm. but I did imagine myself as an actress mm-hmm. someday and being in movies. So I just imagined myself on screen. I don't think I really thought about where I would live so much as that I would be in movies, I would have this husband, I would have everything I ever wanted. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just, but I had those those thoughts mm-hmm. that I was going to be in movies. But you really knew you wanted to be an adult. You knew you wanted to be married. You knew you wanted to be somewhere with your art life and yes. your married life. Right. That's amazing to have that at age ten. Yes, I guess I guess so. But you know, I, I have a, a hula hoop. <laughs> I have a, I have a three year almost three my almost three year old granddaughter talks about someday having having a husband. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how unusual that is mm-hmm. or isn't. I'm not not really sure. And then my other granddaughter I know around that age too is also talking about that because there's this little little thing that my daughter put up on Facebook that was this conversation between her and her older brother where she was saying, I want to help, you know, who's going to be my husband? Who's going to be my husband? And <laughs> and he was saying, we don't know. That's a good thing about marriages. You just don't know who it's going to be. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then she just kept saying, but who is it going to be? Who's my husband? Who's my husband? And he finally said, probably no one because you're so annoying. Aww. You know, so yeah. <laughs> so that, that, you know, happened when they were around that three, four years old, mm-hmm. <laughs> age two. So I don't know. Maybe in my, my family, we just think about husbands early, mm. I guess. I don't know. Um, as you're thinking, do you feel like your husband is selected for you? Do you mm. think your husband, did you think your husband was selected for you? Did you think he was just out there? You know, Somewhere I, in between. I think at that time, I did think that there was this person mm-hmm. that was supposed to be my husband. And it was a part of my job to figure out and to find him. Mm-hmm. So that's what I thought then. Okay. And I I don't exactly think that necessarily for everyone that there's this, this one person that's meant to be, and, and I think we've talked about that before. Um, but having said that, I still feel like, George is the one that I was intended to be with, mm-hmm. and it just feels that way, and um, that that's what's worked for me. But um, Well, there's yeah. one more thing I want to ask before we wrap up this portion, mm-hmm. and that is, and this is my perception, please correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. and please just speak to it however you want to. You're 10, you have such a vivid imagination. It really, you have ideas. You mm-hmm. can see things happening, Mm -hmm. and you're articulate with your ideas. It also seems to be when your faith is really sparked. Okay. Do you feel that your faith sparked prior to age 10? When did you start hearing that voice? When did you start to really have that pull Mm. to the Baha'i faith and Mm -hmm. to this knowledge that you are intended? Mm. Okay. 
I think that as far as the feeling that I always had that there was someone that was with me, there was just that feeling that I had. And I, I don't know that I necessarily thought, I didn't think it was God. I thought it was one of God's workers or somebody that was perhaps assigned to me. I wasn't quite sure. But I would hear a voice in my head telling me or warning me sometimes, like, don't, don't go away with that man who just invited you to come into his car. That actually happened once. Mm-hmm. And uh, also the voice would tell me things that would not be something that I would even want to think about, like be nice to your mother. Mm-hmm. So there would be these, this voice that, I, that was just with me. So, so that kind of felt to me like there was something beyond, way, well beyond me. Mm-hmm. I was Presbyterian. I was raised Presbyterian, and I did start questioning things. Now, that was a little bit later that I was really questioning. Was that prior to going to college when you started to question and not believe in God? Right. That was more, I would say, it was really around the time that I went to confirmation classes Mm -hmm. when I was 12 Mm -hmm. and discovered some of the things that I was supposed to think about or supposed to believe as a Presbyterian and that those things didn't make sense to me. And I began to question. And my father, who was a scientist, was um, open to my questioning. I would say that. He Mm -hmm. was open to that. And I remember one time having a conversation with him. Uh, I was not doing as well in science as he thought I should be. And (laughs) I think I I actually might have even... not necessarily that I was lying about this, but I was trying to to um, show him that my lack of interest in science had, there was something profound about it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So basically what I said to him was, okay, I, I, I understand. I mean, there's the periodic tables, there's all these things. But what I really want to know is where did this all come from to begin with? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so there's this matter that never goes away and this and that, but how did it get here? Mm-hmm. And so his answer to me was, science does not answer that. Okay. That what you're seeking is something beyond science. And he just kind of shrugged and walked out the door. You know, So he didn't bug me anymore about my le- lack of, um, of good grades in the science class. Okay. but. I, um, but but that, that that was something that I was really curious curious about, and yet I also was not satisfied with a simple story of creation. That did not make sense either. Mm-hmm. So um, there were just some some of all the questions that I had about um, how is it that the um, that we could have this incredibly loving creator that would then judge people and not allow everyone to go into heaven, which Mm -hmm. was something that I had heard about. That didn't make any sense to me. Uh, When I found out about all these different faiths that had beautiful teachings, I was why? I mean, I understand that Jesus was wonderful, but so was Buddha, and Mm -hmm. so is Zoroaster and and Muhammad and others. And so, um, so eventually when I found the Baha'i faith, I mean, everything that I really thought about and believed about, I, I found. 
you know, mm-hmm. and that. So, but that well, didn't happen until I was fifteen. Let's get you to the Baha'i chapter because that's okay. our next chapter. Yeah. So let's wrap yeah. up for this week and okay. invite all our listeners to come back. Absolutely. And let's find out more about the Baha'i moments. Okay. In one week. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Connie. Guilty Pleasures was made possible by Rockford Writers Guild, The Shumway, Rockford Area Arts Council, and you, our listeners. Remember to let us know what you think of Guilty Pleasures by rating us on iTunes, emailing editor at rockfordwritersguild.org, or joining us on social media. Find us on Facebook under Rockford Writers Guild. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Guilty Pleasures. This is your producer, Jesse Coots. Thank you for listening. Now go write.